Welcome to Musician. I'm your host, Andrew LaPau. Let's start the show. Get on that bird and go. I'm on the plane like the highway. A boss in this thing, we do it my way. It's rain out there, so why play? I rock the rule where I say. I'm on the plane like the highway. A boss in this thing, we do it my way. It's rain out there, so why play? I rock the rule where I stay. A good friend of mine from back home wrote me an email saying he thought I should write a proposal um, to lead a roundtable discussion for a conference coming up uh, in Nashville in the spring. And I decided to do it uh, to talk about uh, music and culture in Nashville and the blurring of genre lines uh, in the music that's made here um, among the musicians who live and work in Nashville. And the person who who came to mind first uh, to be on the roundtable was my guest today, Nicole Box. Um, who recently won the National Industry Awards for Best Soul Singer. And she's got a record coming out in January, and she and her band are putting out singles uh, leading up to the release of the record. So they put out two so far. Uh, One you're going to hear coming up is Everyone I Know, and we got a special acoustic performance of the latest one, Electrify Me, um, at the end of the interview. So look forward to that. Um, but uh, her band consists of herself, Alex Kramer, who plays guitar and sings, uh, Lauren D. Clark on bass, David Dorn on synth, Terrence Clark on drums, and her dad, C.J. Boggs, who mixed and engineered the record. So without further ado, here's my interview with Nicole Boggs and Alex Kramer. Enjoy. guys on uh i i guess i ran into you at the diy musician conference yes and uh you were like yeah we're just trying to learn something new i guess that's what you said to me you're like just yeah. trying to learn something new and we were just like passing in line yeah, too it was funny we got like five seconds to see each other at the whole conference <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but you got a new release coming out i do yeah tell me about that um so this release is going to be called scenes from last year uh, 
it's something that we've kind of, it's kind of been an experiment. Um, we decided to work on it as a band instead of a solo release like I've done everything else so far. And um, we produced it as a team. So I had, I had met with a few producers and just wasn't feeling like I was hearing what I wanted to hear. And I didn't even know what that was exactly. I, I didn't even know what songs were going to be on the roster. So we kind of hearkened back to like a Fleetwood Mac style thing where we met once a month. Mm-hmm. and only focused on one track at a time and I would pick from whatever I wrote that month so I'm writing all the time I'm not focused on like here are the songs that are going on this record it was more like here's what happened this month and that's what I wrote about so you're so, basically pitching your songs to the band and they you kind of democratically decided which ones uh, to do, which ones to mm-hmm. do. And, and it was like I never thought about it like by design, but it was scenes from last year because it was the song songs you generally brought in and wrote the month prior. It would be happening. really about that emotion of that moment. And about halfway through, Alex and I started writing a lot of the stuff together, so there's several co-writes on the record. Yeah. Um, and I'd been in several iterations of her band for basically since she put a band together. I was in probably not the first version, but maybe like the second. I think the first first version, Yeah, maybe. I don't know. There's um, nothing before you. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Um, but yeah, there was a couple of years of her and uh, different management teams she had where there was a separation between she had her live players and then she would go and make a record with a producer. But this was the kind of thing where you knew where you felt comfortable. And I also think I had had kind of a negative experience with this management team I was working with. And... Um, I think it was really important to me to like feel like I was at home and in a family and like at the end of the day no matter what I said it wasn't going to be held against me we were all going to love each other you know and I just needed to feel safe you know for me I think you made the more artistic choice to kind of like bring other people in to the decision making process instead of just one producer yeah yeah. Well, and my dad was the engineer on the project, so he, he was CJ. really our... CJ is his name, CJ Boss. <laughs> so that makes it feel like a family. He was really like our Max Martin, you know, like he's really, <laughs> he's in the band, but he's not playing anything. He's yeah. the one making all the important we choices. We say it was a six-way between um, Terrence Clark and, his, and Lauren Clark. I was going to say his brother, but Lauren probably wouldn't like me saying Terrence <laughs> and his brother Lauren. <laughs> first but first Lauren Clark and uh, and David Dorn and CJ was like the sixth member of the band where everything kind of funneled through him and he mixed it so he was a center point for all of us have you been working with your dad your whole career your whole life yeah definitely and there have been a lot of a lot of times where it's like I'm never working with you again because (laughs) I drive him crazy but I actually think that bringing other people into this kind of smooth out that working relationship too because it was not just me and him communicating it was like there are five other people or four other people you have to contend with now it made her feel great that now he's uh bullying me like his child just like her he so talks it, it, that, it balanced it out balanced he talks out to the, the whole band it. just like he talks to me like but it's <laughs> it is a really great work but when i say bullying it's kind of like we can we can say anything to each other we can say like no that sucks or whatever and it's cool and was he making more of the executive decision between, like, the tiebreaker? You know, if there were an executive producer, it would be him. But yeah. it, 
the whole the way through felt pretty balanced and democratic. Like we did the unthinkable thing and like really by committee made it work. <laughs> by the third song, it was like okay, we have a flow like. We know that I'm going to bring in this work tape and immediately Terrence, the drummer, is going to go sit down at the kit and come up with some groove that, like, takes us totally left field and we mm-hmm. know it's a new song now. Like, he's he's taken us to a new place. So your, con- your concept for the record was more of a work process, in a yeah. way. One song, one day, per day, per month. Essentially. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even planned that way. It was like, it just kind of unfolded like we were on a schedule. I was really just texting people like, when's the next date you're free? Mm-hmm. And it kind of worked out to be that we did 12 songs in 12, in 12 months. months. Yeah. That's Pretty a crazy. solid output. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I did a weird thing recently. I took uh, Pink Floyd's discography and uh, like how many songs they recorded and how, how long they were a band. Uh-huh. And I think... Um, Dark Side of the Moon was their sixth record, uh, and they pretty much put out one song a month up through Dark Side. That was their... Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it can kind of pace out like that if you're getting, especially in the 70s when they were one album a year, like yeah. every year. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, so how has this changed from working with produce, like producers in the past? Do you see yourself moving forward with this type of production... Style. Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, this is it. Like, this is the creative workflow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do a lot of session work and stuff in other instances, so I still am getting that experience of of kind of what I would call the Nashville flow of, like, we'll just go in and do a whole record in a day, and I love it, and yeah. it's so fun. But there's something about the evolution that happens when you're not on a clock and right. you're not trying to pay everybody a certain amount of money for their time it really it's just i mean everybody has points on this record like there's an investment that's awesome in yeah the making process is less about like do it safe get the cleanest version six times through and we have everything to edit it's like do it different a little bit every time and like oh what is that and that became the signature lick of the song and and one of the main things i think that makes my dad kind of the executive producer on this is that he is all about live band performance on the floor so if one of us didn't get it we just kept going you know and even most of my vocals on the record almost all of them are are from the take that happened that day yeah he's very um pure about not scooting stuff around just for the sake of making it the perfect grid that like if he can do nothing at all like he will you know not not go heavy-handed with the editing so the result we got definitely have a, has that band in the room feel thing. Um, uh, no, you, but even that is like pretty in house at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, almost the whole band is from Memphis, oh, that's, so there's yeah. this big tie to Memphis right now. And um, there's a guy named Caleb Sigler who's doing all of our artwork, okay. and he's Memphis based and also a musician. And so it's just kind of this. Did this, you cut this in Memphis? No, no, that was the one, one non-Memphis thing mm-hmm. about we did it in my dad's basement yeah I mean. <laughs> oh, nice. that's awesome I mean it's a real studio but yeah, it yeah. Is his that's basement. not Wayne's basement <laughs> <laughs> dumb that's great <laughs> so so what's the uh, next move for you you gonna put out a campaign of singles or yes so we started with one in July um 
ev- called Everyone I Know, mm-hmm. and we did a music video for that that's that's out now. Uh, and then we just put out another single Friday, last Friday, mm-hmm. September 29th. Uh, so that was one of the ones we played. That's called Electrify Me. And that was the last one that went on the record. We actually we actually wrapped the record up at 11 songs. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I had a writing session the following week. And I was like, nope, it's got to be 12. That song's got to yeah. go on the record. Who, so, who did you write the song with? Uh, Sam Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Yeah. So we yeah, that was up... that was a very and yeah it was squeezing it to make it work because everybody was going on the road and we just had just the amount of time and going in for number twelve was it was definitely the full realization of the workflow where like what she said when we go in she shows the song Terrence comes up with one part and then parts start falling out of what I'm doing jamming and basically like the first things that came out of each instrument were like the song the yeah. song yeah. And yeah. very little talking. That was the thing I noticed by the end of the record was like, we're not talking about anything. We're, all we're just kind of like cool. yeah. playing the role. That's awesome. That's the new way of recording, which allows for, I think, more just better decisions. Yeah. And yeah. I like the idea of it being the new way. I, I actually think it's the old way. Yeah, yeah true. And that <laughs> most, of, most people aren't doing it. And I'm, that's not to say that it's good or bad or wrong or right. Like, this is just what's kind of. Working I, I think, for us. I think everyone is has something to learn about the recording process. No matter where you are and how many records you've made in the past, there's always something to be learned, and it's an environment that is been the playing field has been even. Like it's it's getting more even. You, yeah. you used to have totally. to have like a special permission to go into studios and use all that equipment, and right. uh, and it would cost a lot of money. But now everyone's making albums out of their bedrooms or out of their basements, and and use and there's more cinematic elements to things now too and that's what the totally, real is yeah can you talk a little bit about that uh yeah i mean i think that name is so funny the band name thing was such a like we was, had like text wars going on for like a yeah. month what the band name was. <laughs> it was so oh, silly man. yeah um which is just the most unfun thing to do yeah yeah you fun. can get really angry if you yeah. don't like a band name. yeah <laughs> And I don't know, I think the reel was kind of birthed out of the idea that I already knew what I wanted to call the record. Um, And we had set every song up with kind of a cool intro or outro that was very cinematic. And each song has its own theme. Like the first single has, you know, chatter in a bar Mm -hmm. in the background. And the second single has a bunch of electric sounds happening that kind of are reminiscent of lightning or electricity and we just kind of did that for the whole project where Mm -hmm. there's just a theme going on outside of the story even what's the story i mean just the story of each song like there's the lyrical story and then there's like some little thing we would pick out and make a musical moment out of it Mm -hmm. so yeah there's so there's i mean it's 12 songs so it's it's a journey through the record it's 50 minutes maybe 45 minutes? Yeah, um, about 50 minutes. I guess there is there is a bit of a theme of the record where it, start, it starts out really dark, and I was in, like, a really heavy party phase and yeah. dating this crazy painter and, like, just, you know, trying to have as much fun as possible, but I was really unhappy. Mm. And it kind of ends uh, and it, and it in a really positive place. place. Mm. So, And I, it, I didn't even realize that that was happening until I listened back to the record in order. And it really strengthened the idea of this is scenes from last year. Like I started here and 
Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm a happier person, and I didn't even know it was happening. You like, know? Like, <laughs> like, you, you, like you were in therapy, and you didn't yeah. even know it. Yeah. yeah. The sessions were therapy. There was one day where there was, like, tears all around, and we were <laughs> mad at each other, and it was like... There were was, fights. There was, it I mean, was as Fleetwood Mag as it could be. Like, it was them, <laughs> yeah. But it was great. I mean, all that stuff is kind of, like, in those records now. We had a lot... We had, and then we also had really joyful days that were just effortless. That's what, yeah. like, the slow fade uh, sessions were... Uh, probably third song in when it, that was the one the time where it, we found our groove and from then out uh so now that you're h- happier after this <laughs> recording set are the, is the partying less uh <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if there's i just wonder if there's a correlation between well, that yeah the, the joke i guess we were talking about this on the road a couple weeks ago like half the band is very straight laced and put together up and married and, and like and so thing. like <laughs> responsible and then yeah. there's me and alex who are like <laughs> oh, we're just the, rec- <laughs> we're the reckless ones but yeah i would say the partying is different like it's not like you know i think i was really drinking heavily to like medicate you know mm-hmm. and it's just feels like a different process now. and it's, it's also not being so... in gear with new stuff and a new sound and it's not just like spinning our wheels on the gigs that pay our bills like you've been in transition with your music for a couple of years and when she put out an ep last year it's called something new and that was the first record she was on or that i was on for her so something new was kind of transition toward the band record Mm -hmm. but even as she was putting it out it was like these are songs that i've been sitting on i'm gonna put it out but like we we were already in the process of making this record when i put that out so that was kind of like oh clearly this is gonna take us some time like so now that we're here put something out (laughs) this whole year has been pretty slam packed we've been it's like the summer season started early and we've been balancing you know gigs against right you know, putting the music out there. And, yeah, and you're all over the map with different types of session work and performance gigs, and you you perform at Acme and uh, Alley Taps, right? Yes, so mm-hmm. we're we're at Alley Taps every second and fourth Friday. Alex has a residency at Acme every first Friday of oh. the month. So we kind of tag team on. You know, I'm part of that band. Mm-hmm. He's part of mine. It's I'm awesome when band, it lines up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the, the only you know. The upside and the downside are that, you know, our bass player and drummer are often on the road with super awesome people. Yeah, they're so sickeningly talented that they're, <laughs> they're unavailable a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. Such is life, everybody. But, knows. you know, we get to, they, they make time for this when it comes to the record. Unfortunately, Terrence is only with us live a handful of times, so yeah. I will usually do a big promo push when he is because it's, just the way it's supposed to be but he's out with Robert Cray oh, which we're super proud great. of him for that that's yeah. amazing and he's um, we're just watching him his trajectory as um, as a person who's been kind of a long standing presence in the Memphis music scene like him as a Memphis drummer gaining some identity um, and it's perfect for him like we're, we're all we miss him but it's exactly what he needs to be doing like it's amazing that he has that yeah. Well, and he still texts me to tell me what to do every day. So sure. yeah, he's, he's still very, <laughs> he's very active, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to my social media presence. Like we just when we put the single out, I got like a, four paragraphs about like yeah. and post Laura, here and send it to this person. And uh-huh. I'm like, OK, awesome. and Lauren is also <laughs> very active, even outside of his role as a bass player. It, it just him. He holds us all together. He's part of the, the glue of the team, keeping everybody on point. 
self-appointed MD. I said MC. it. Yeah, I record it. Yeah, print it. <laughs> He's the dad. He's definitely the <laughs> band dad. Now, we all, I don't want to go without mentioning David Dorn, um, who is so important to the sounds on this record. I actually wrote more songs with David Dorn on this record than, than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of my favorite people to write with. Him and Robin Grant, who is also a prevalent songwriter in Nashville. But the three of us kind of formed this like secret team where I don't think most people even know that we know each other. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll go somewhere and people are like, oh, D- Dorn was on your session? I'm like, yeah, I write, like, I wrote the whole record with Dorn. You, I guess you just didn't he's know. He's one of the most he, in-demand keyboard players in Nashville. He's, yeah, he's just slammed with, you know, back-to-back sessions throughout the week, so. Which is really cool because he comes to us after milling out, like, ten songs in a day and, like, the opportunity to stretch out and, and to lean, just to take your time with a song and develop sounds, I think... I think is a welcome relief for him. For I sure. agree. And I also think that's something to be noted. There is a lot of really interesting synth stuff going uh, on on this record, and that yeah. is a whole new world for us. Like I've always had this very organic soul sound, and now we're going into this whole new territory, yeah. and he is... Is it a whole bunch the, of different types of synths, or one specific one? Do you I, know? There's all kinds of stuff yeah. going on. Um, the sounds, like, from then to now, so Nicole comes from Berkeley. She comes from, we, we like to tell a little joke where we say, everybody, all of us came out of college and we told ourselves, be pop, but also be jazz. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what you, that's, that's where you're That's the line at. we're writing. So yeah, her background comes from that soul, yeah. jazz in it thing. And then we accidentally made an 80s rock record. Like there's, there's, there's just roto so... toms on it and a bunch of crazy Yeah, things. I think if you grow up in a jazz environment, learning like if you go to school and there's a lot of jazz musicians that you can't shake that it's gonna be pressure, even oh, you know the pressure. Oh yeah, yeah. it's like, in I there. I know more notes than yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting how as we've worked together over the last four years and become such close friends, I've seen us both kind of start to go down this path where we're like, I just want to just give me a song. Do your own thing. With we've like, both had this evolution of song first because we come from a technician's background yeah and especially as a guitar player because i'm basically not sidemanning at all anymore not that i wouldn't want to it's just we're doing the band thing all the time yeah i'm, I'm hire com- him i'm paying money into- so i don't have to <laughs> <laughs> um i forgot i lost my train of thought but yeah uh you were saying as a guitar player like it's oh. a whole different process thing. yeah it's letting go of like or getting more excited about like what happened when the string buzzed between the note and somebody captured that than like the technical the, the notes of it so it's like accepting a certain atrophying in being sloppier but knowing that there's like emotional stuff there yeah and, that's, being, and accepting of that you know because that's the best stuff that's great okay. yeah i i feel like i've had the same train of thought yeah. recently. It's awesome. like, I mean, I'm, I'm on the same Yeah, way. because we, we work as musicians. We're using our technique to make someone else money, you know, or, yeah. or perform with someone else. And then you go, well, where's my voice? Where, like, what am I doing? Absolutely. And yeah. to compose music, that has to be, that's a technique, you know, that mm-hmm. has to be practiced. And yeah. so you got to really go, am I going to be, am I going to go with the virtuoso technique path and learn like the repertoire for that or am i gonna go into uncharted territory in my own that that you're gonna discover along with 
yeah. you know, people who listen to your music. Yeah, it's it's a constant battle. I mean, jazz and pop, I've always said, like, you can spend weeks and months at a time cleaning up your, your work, and that's directly related to you not being able to open up your work. And if you're open in your head with music, with jazz and improvisation, then it's a lot harder to be studio perfect and just play something repetitively, like evenly and at the same volume. Yeah. It's like you have to swing on one side of the world yeah. or the other, and I'm trying to make that a light switch. There's already yeah. gu- and there's yeah. already guys for that, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> there's already light switch guys. <laughs> yeah, I would say, like, I've been pretty focused on, like, leaning into my quirks and my even my laziness and just being like, this is my the thing, you mm-hmm. know, like, this is what's helping me express this song. Well, there's and an expectation for you to be big vocal. Big, belty runs and riffs and, mm-hmm. you know. That's not what's on this record. It's just not there on yeah. this record. And it's, it's really, I think, I think it's going to throw some people for yeah. a loop. In the you best know? way. Like, <laughs> I think, you know, records are time capsules of that point of your life and of your, yeah. you know, of your, your, you know, path. So I, I can't wait to hear the whole thing. Thank um, you, man. Yeah. We're really excited. It'll be fun. I guess January is we don't have a first quarter. Yeah, is is what we're saying. Okay. We, there's so you, some there's some stuff in the works that I'm trying to map out in mm-hmm. terms of uh, getting all the ducks in a row. So I don't have an official date for the whole okay. release yet. There'll probably will be like two more singles and then a record. Okay, so you got yeah. some more songs to look forward to until then. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming in, guys. Yeah, well, thank, thank you, you for having us. Yeah. Appreciate it, bud. Why you calling me at night? Don't she keep you satisfied? Or maybe you feel it. The temptation between us is all I ever think about. I could make your heart beat loud. Or feel it when the earth moves. If you let me show you.
That was Nicole Boggs and Alex Kramer. I want to thank them again for taking the time to come in and play some songs and do an interview. Um, And to everybody else who's listening, I was originally going to put kind of a rant at the beginning of the show um, because, um, you know, we we recorded this episode um, the morning after the, the deadly massacre in Las Vegas and we were we were feeling it, but we we decided to stay positive in the studio and and talk about music, which you know inherently is a positive thing. Um, 
And then I recorded another intro for the episode, and it got a little, you know, political, and I don't want this show to be politically based. Um, But I do think a conversation needs to happen. You know, everybody knows a conversation needs to happen in this country about our gun culture. So I'm just going to tag on right now um, my thoughts on guns, and whoever's still listening, here it is. It's Monday, the 9th, October 9th. Uh, It's a week since the Las Vegas massacre um, at the Route 91 festival. Jason Aldean just uh, played a performance um, to introduce Saturday Night Live on Saturday night. Um, And the NRA is now going to somehow push for legislation banning bump stocks, which is the way the shooter was able to rig his weapon into an automatic firing weapon. Um, and I've noticed since I've heard, I've known, known, so I know people who are at the playing at the festival, people who are in the audience at the festival, people who are backstage at the festival. Uh, I'm hearing stories come back. And some of the stories are incredibly grim, obviously. Um, and I'm always the one who just feels so hopeless that I, I just want to talk about what can be done to change this. Nobody wants this. Nobody wants this in this society. This is this is what guns do to a society. And I really feel that way. I've been an American my whole life. I've grew up in America. We live in a gun culture. Some of us are more obsessed than others. Um, But nobody wants this. Nobody wants this. And, uh, you know, articles are coming out. People are changing their their tone on guns. Um, The NRA pretty much has admitted to failure um, by now saying that bump stocks are going to be made illegal. That's that's to really putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Um, and I hate to make a pun there, but really, this whole idea of the only, only thing that could stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun fails logic, any logical argument in any way. It's all manipulation to get, you know, the NR, people on the NRAs, you know, fan list, you know, you cannot, to be a country act, to be a country singer or or a musician, you cannot align yourself with the biggest lobbying group in the country. It's all, that money is there for you to feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself. And that's not the thing you should be a part of. If you want to go to a country music concert, because you love music and live music and country music, and and you love the pride that it makes you feel in being American, I say God bless you. That is awesome. That is awesome. And I love that country singers are saying we got to come together. It's not about, you know, race or religion or age or politics. We're Americans. We got to come together. I think that's awesome. But that argument, or that's not even an argument, that statement is great in its sentiment. But when the conversation stops there that shows that there is something seriously wrong with the divide that's in our country 
And we're so on polar opposite sides now that no nothing gets done means what they're doing at the top is working. And you really just need to have that courage to stand up and speak truth to power. That's all it takes is a little bit of courage. So I want to point your attention to a couple articles. One is on refinery29.com. It's titled, It's Time for Country Music to Change Its Tune on Guns, written by Courtney E. Smith. And that's a very powerful article, and I believe everyone should read that. It's got great links in it, especially to um, Caleb Keeter's comment, um, a musician who was playing at the festival who saw the massacre happen, and he has renounced his allegiance to the second amendment and there's also another great letter that was written in people um mark barden who was the father of uh, one of the first grade victims at sandy hook he wrote a letter to caleb uh talking about the compromise of by supporting sensible gun control legislation without having to you know you know repeal the second amendment um which is you know where we all should be, you know, the second amendment doesn't have to go away. It's not what, you know, we're all arguing about, you know, the second amendment's in the constitution. It's the ridiculousness of how out of hand gun ownership has gotten with assault rifles and obviously bump stocks. These things need to go away. The compromise is sensible gun control legislation. That's the compromise. That's where we need to meet in the middle. Okay, have a good week, everyone, and I'll see you next time.